Good morning, I'm Douglas Jacoby, and I'll be giving the sermon. I feel really uh, inspired, I love that song. When I, we had a class trip, fourth grade, went to Lincoln Center, New York, heard, heard that music, which is actually from Finland, uh, played in a symphony orchestra, and for some reason, uh, it just, it touches me. I know we're all affected by different kinds of music, and hopefully at North River, there's the variety that you need. Okay, um, I'm projecting. Kind of. Oh, is it the, it's blacked out. Look at that. Amazing. Okay. Soul to soul, forging and maintaining godly relationships. The uh, sermon series architect, Jeff Hickman, is in Jackson, Mississippi today. Uh, but we've talked about this message. I'm very excited about it. But first, sometimes, at least I used to in the longer services, be able to share a little bit of news from the places I've been since you kind of send me all around. I'm going to do that very quickly. Just got back from North Carolina. You're looking at it right there. Um, it was a trip to Fayetteville, and then also the, uh, the Outer Banks, mainly focused on, well, modern culture. I think that was the common theme with, with everything. It's a very uh, welcoming church, a very encouraging church in Fayetteville. And then they invited us to join them and other leaders from North Carolina, where many of us became Christians, to go uh, to the coast. I actually celebrated my 40th spiritual birthday on Monday, so that was something I was paying attention to. There were about 60 of us. It was a fairly easy, it was mainly singing, uh, it was like three hours in the morning, three in the evening, but mainly just uh, singing fellowship and some very short lessons. Uh, got to get to know some people uh, better, got, saw a lot of old friends and probably old in both senses of the word. Um, here's my wife, back to the younger sense, uh, the older sense. There's the ocean, uh, had time for fun, and. Uh, I definitely enjoyed that a lot. So we were very encouraged uh, to be there and to see the faith of your brothers and sisters in North Carolina, uh, where even a lot of our members have been recently with the teen event. This is where um, I am in the international teaching ministry, the, kind of the flow this year. There's still a few more city, cities to go that happen to all be in the United States, which is uh, pretty cool. And one of them, one of those events is this week, and if you'd like to come and learn about Islam, please join me in the Family Learning Center Thursday night, and we will have a good time. Soul to soul. Mary and Elizabeth. In our family, it's normally my wife who loves to teach about Mary and does such a great job sharing about her relationship with Elizabeth. So if you hear my wife's voice today, uh, you are hearing something very accurately. It's something we've talked about a lot. But just in case, I don't want anyone to be distracted. Let's just get this out of the way. It is almost Halloween. And that's kind of a, sometimes a contentious subject for some people. If you're interested, and I mention this in part because the Spanish version of an article in Halloween was just posted yesterday. If you're being, if you're listening to the translation, otherwise in English, very, very short. I used to take part in Halloween. I stopped, not for theological reasons, but because adults made fun of me when I came to the door. <laughs> I mean, okay, I may have been in seventh or eighth grade, but I was almost six feet tall, and, you know, they knew I wasn't the parent, and, and so I, I stopped that. But some people feel a bit differently. I'll tell you, one year I had a very good reason to feel differently. 
And it was a time that, I guess it was the cheapest costume in the neighborhood. My mother wound linen strips around me to make me a mummy. The linen strips were not linen, unfortunately. They were made out of toilet paper. <laughs> cheapest costume ever. That will actually tie into the message a little bit later on. But let's be a little more serious and get into our passage. And the whole thing is from Luke 1, because in this sermon series, we're looking at relationships typically between one believer and another. Mary is all over the New Testament. Actually, there are multiple Marys. This is Mary, Jesus' mother. But Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, only appears in Luke 1. So we'll be staying there. We read that in the time of King Herod, king of Judea. So that's the years, that's the decades up to 4 BC, if you want to set it. We read of a priest named Zechariah. His wife is Elizabeth. Though back then the priest, they didn't live at the temple. Most priests came in to serve for two weeks. Then they went back to the other jobs. And as we see here, both were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now, it could have been actually the male's issue instead of the female's issue. At the time, it was understood the male gave, he made his contribution. The seed takes or it doesn't take. But there is a tremendous shame in culture where you're expected to have children. You don't. Or even to a lesser degree, if you have daughters but no sons, maybe next time you'll have a boy. That is the dominant culture on our planet today, though not in Georgia. Who is this Elizabeth? Well, we read that she's advanced in years. She's not expecting a baby. So I think we're talking post-menopausal. What, what age does that come? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what it was back then. So let's just guess a little wild. How about 45 to 60? Maybe somewhere in that pocket. She is thrilled. She will be thrilled because she's going to get a message, like Mary will, that she's going to become a mother. The stigma will be removed. Happy girl. The significant point is not so much that they couldn't conceive and now her husband and she are happy or socially accepted. That, that's a minor bonus. It's not really, you know, the story of the Bible connects with all of us, but we're, it's, not, it's not about us. We're not the main character. It's always God who's the main character. So what's God doing? He's using them to bring John the Baptist into the world. John the Baptist, that fiery figure who connects the Old Testament directly to the New Testament, who is a relation of Jesus Christ, who baptizes Jesus, who prepares people to be able to listen to Jesus' ministry, to give them ears to hear. Mary, Mary, as we will see, will hurry to meet Elizabeth. And they have something in common because Mary's pregnancy wasn't expected either. I mean, with Zechariah, with Elizabeth's husband, it was a huge surprise. But 
I don't think that's quite the same as if you've never been with anybody uh, and all of a sudden you're pregnant. I don't really know how that would happen. And, and what we see with Elizabeth also, in, in our story today, there is a series of people who are moved by God's spirit. We see Zechariah and Elizabeth. We see an older couple, not a couple, they weren't dating or anything, um, named Simeon and Anna. These are, these are people probably around 80 years old. And these four older people realize what is finally going to happen in their generation. So that's just a little bit of background. So the angel comes uh, to Elizabeth's husband and encourages him. Zechariah, hey, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and here's the name you're going to call him. So his wife became pregnant. She's in seclusion for five months. Okay, so five months down or something like that. Elizabeth speaks. The Lord has done this for me. And these days he's shown his favor, taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. You may not know a lot about Elizabeth, but this should ring some bells if you've been to church a few times. Galilee, angel Gabriel, Nazareth, and of course, we're talking about Mary. Just a little bit of background here. We have kind of data on Mary for a period of more than three and a half decades. From this time up to the year that Jesus was crucified. After that, there are church traditions, but there is Zippo in the Bible to help you. We don't know anything of her family at all. There were second century traditions that named her father, uh, uh, and uh, hang on a second, yeah, her father and, and her mother, Saint Anne. Mary was probably born around 20 BC. I say that because it was typical at, at this time for women to be married off around the onset of, what do you call that? There's a fancy word. But let's just say she was 12, 13, 14. 15 maybe, but that would be a little bit on the late side. The men married at an older age. Not a, a lot older, but a few years older, like late teens or 20s. So Mary's quite young. Uh, she's named after one of the most popular women in the Old Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, it's not Mary. That's not her name. Her name is Miriam. It's Miriam, Moses' sister. She's probably 15. Elizabeth could be 50-plus. There's a bit of an age gap between those two, wouldn't you say? And that has a lot to do with the message today. The message that comes to her, Elizabeth, your relative, she's going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. The clock is ticking. No word from God will ever fail. So here we see the reaction of Mary Verse 39, she gets up, she hurries. She's in Nazareth. She hurries into the hill country to meet her hillbilly cousin. No, uh, but it is a cousin. And when she enters Zechariah's home, she greets Elizabeth. Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting. The baby leaps in her womb. Elizabeth is filled with joy and exclaims, 
Blessed are you among women. This is where the Hail Mary prayer uh, comes from, at least parts. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's a remarkable statement. Mary, we, we wouldn't blame her if she was still stunned with disbelief. But she has taken God at his word, and she believes the child she will bear is the Lord. She believes that. Elizabeth believes that because she's been uh, brought in, and even Ze Zechariah. It's an amazing story. Uh, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who's believed that the Lord will fulfill her promises to her. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. This is our final scripture here. Her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Okay. The chapter has a little bit more, but that's, that's what we wanted to look at today. What do these guys have in common? Well, surprise. Enormous surprise. They're bound together, not just by blood as being relations or cousins of some sort. They're bound together because they both believe God. They have faith in common, and faith is always stronger than blood. From Genesis to Revelation, family ties come second to spiritual ties. Now, that's not to say that you can ignore your own physical family and just take part in some fun church activity you know, when your father's dying in the hospital or something, that would be a travesty. That would be totally missing it. Because in fact, we're supposed to care for everybody and especially our physical families. But there's something that's thicker than blood and that's faith. Each woman gave birth to a world-changing son. A world-changing son. They helped each other. We believe that Mary drew great encouragement from Elizabeth, this older woman. She goes to be with her. I think they were probably both very encouraged. And in a way, we could say that Mary helps, Elizabeth helps Mary to keep it together, uh, to do what needed to be done, and not to come apart. Well, poor guy, my, it was a, it was a night where Let's say my wrappings didn't stay on very easily. That Halloween, Halloween back in 67, 68. The to you know, toilet paper is really not that strong. Even if you're someone who needs the double bonded, okay? It's not that strong. And it's wrapped around and it's all the motion of walking and gradually it was falling off of me. Thing is underneath, my mother had dressed me only in white underpants and I had white socks and white sneakers. So house after house, I'm actually literally unraveling. <laughs> I'm coming apart and having to walk in a very interesting way and very sensitive. I, I was very sensitive as a child. I had to really work hard to become insensitive, but I'll tell you, the, my wrappings were just coming off. They were falling off and I couldn't have been more embarrassed. I couldn't have been more embarrassed, poor, poor me. I believe older Christians can help you and me from becoming unraveled. They've been through tough times, weathered storms, come out on the other end. 
They've made some of the mistakes that we're about to make. And if we'll listen, they can save us some time, maybe even money and energy. Perspective comes with age. And an older believer who can point you to the Lord, not just explain how things work in, in this world, society, but someone who can direct us to the Lord, that is a wonderful thing. Mary, I believe, benefited tremendously from this relationship. And although we don't read of their connection after Luke 1, it's reasonable to suppose that that courage, that perspective that Elizabeth gave to Mary stayed with Mary the rest of her life. Because Mary was going to have some very painful times. A sword would pierce her own soul. At this time of high infant mortality, it's very possible, actually extremely possible, that the eight children that Mary had that the New Testament mentions were not the only ones. It's very possible that she miscarried or especially that she had another child or two that she lost. She loses her husband. Joseph appears in the early gospel material, but by the, by the time Jesus sets out, begins his public ministry, there's no sign of Joseph. I know, reading between the lines, argument from silence, be careful, there may be another way to look at it. I understand that. But it's most agreed that he died early. And then just imagine the, the suspicion, the innuendo, the comments. Teenage pregnancy, where's the husband? Well, she's going to officially marry this guy. It's all set, but he's not the father. He's not the father? I, I mean, this is a culture where you would run and hide. Technically, you could be executed. But you would, you'd think you would run and hide. Go somewhere else, start over afresh. I don't actually think the Jews executed many people at all. There are some, but, but very few. That, that's not the way they normally handled these kinds of issues. But the, the suspicion, so you can imagine that Mary would have been quite motivated to go into the hill country, as Luke says, and to spend a few months with her relative. All right, so she's, she's avoiding the, the knowing looks, the innuendo, and so, and so forth. And I thought of one more thing these two have in common. It binds them together even if they never discussed it. It's losing their firstborn. John will be decapitated by another of the Herods because he dared to preach about sin in church. Runs afoul of the authorities. He's beheaded at Herod's birthday. Crazy. You can read about it in the Gospels. Mary, of course, lost her firstborn. Was this the sword that would pierce her own soul, Luke 234? Perhaps it was, or perhaps that's simply part of the overall picture. But she sees her own firstborn die in an amazingly painful and challenging way. What are the lessons that we, I'll come back, what are the lessons that we can learn through all of this? Well, one is certainly that spiritual relationships with relatives can be very good, and it's something we should value. 
Okay, we talked about David and Jonathan. That was one of the early uh, lessons in the series. Yes, we need good relationships with one another and with peers. They, they were peers in many ways. How about our, our relations? Now, I just came from a wedding last night. My brother has four children. The fourth and final child got married yesterday. I'm a great uncle um, twice this year from two other marriages, and two of his other kids got married this year. Wow. We have, and my brother's a Christian, and his, uh, his uh, wife and most of his children and others too. But just because someone is a fellow Christian doesn't mean, you know, you're instantly close. You still got to work at that. You got to work at that. How are your relationships with Christians who are in your family? Not necessarily the ones you live with, but others. Because for, for many of us, we've been able to help others to become Christians. Whether your relations are inside or outside the church, I think there's something to learn from Mary and Elizabeth. We need, as sisters, let me just step into that mode for a second. As sisters, we need older willing, uh, we need older members willing, older women willing to be Elizabeth's. Now, the passage I put on the screen, you can write that down. It's a biblical thing. The, the Bible says very little about older women training younger women in leadership, but it says an awful lot about teaching them how not to go crazy because of their husband or how to deal with issues that come up with family. And we need not only people who will be like uh, Elizabeth's, uh, we need certainly spiritual relationships between older men and women. So, so we need Mary's and Elizabeth. Now, maybe it was just because I was baptized um, in mid-adolescence. I was 18. I was always suspicious of the older people. I held them responsible for all the social ills and wars on the planet. In the church where I became a Christian, the college and teen minister was on fire. Not necessarily all the older people were on fire. And part of me... Uh, I think it made me feel justified. I remember I went up to one guy, 70, which when you're 18, 70, you might as well be 170. That's really... And he was a history professor at Duke University, at my university, except he was retired, so he's emeritus, extremely respected. And I walked up to him and said, so did you have your quiet time this morning? You know, so here I am, I, I want to I just make sure that, you know, and I thought he probably hadn't, because older people don't do that. You know, it's younger people who are committed. So I go, and I remember he, he, he was indignant. It, was, it wasn't quite these words, but it was like, how dare you lecture me, you little whippersnapper. But it would have been something like that. We had a lot of problems with unspiritual leaders who were older men. It's not the way it has to be. It can be truly different. And I've, I've seen in the last 40 years uh, in our churches more and more engaged, committed, very excited, older men. And many of these have been a tremendous help to me. I was thinking of one of them yesterday, and, and the email came. Now, he's not terribly older, you know, like 10 years. But 10 years is kind of a big deal, especially when you're younger. And we've known each other a long time. I have a friend who was in his 80s, who became part of my life when I was 18, 
And again, a few years later, at the death of my sister, we reconnected eventually. And uh, that, that was just eight years ago. But this is someone I immensely respect, who's given great advice, and who's modeled for me how to think about life, the world, the church, ministry. I think you need these things. And he's also helped, helped me deal with a lot of personal pain. I, I thought of a, another fellow, university professor. Yeah, he's, he's pushing 80, but I'm no spring chicken myself. I'm aware of that. I don't pretend to be younger than I am. Actually, I like where I am. It's fine. As long as I keep aging one year every 365 days. What I'm saying is that for me, knowing older men, and it's actually older women too, but typically couples, that I could sh share, this has happened in my life. This has happened in our life. This has happened in our family. We can't be the only ones. And then people say, well, you're, you're not. And they, sh they unburden, they share, and you realize everything's gonna be okay. It's gonna work out. I think Mary must have left, Elizabeth must have returned from the hill country thinking, I'm ready now. You know, let them make fun of me if they want to. It's gonna be okay. It's going to work out. We all need those kinds of relationships. And Luke is an interesting book because in the beginning of Luke, you've got these older people, Simeon, Anna, Zechariah, Elizabeth, they're all well advanced in years. And they, they know what's going on. And then you have the very young people who need these older people. Those young people being Joseph, Mary, and of course, Jesus, who's only a baby, at least to start with. So those are some of the lessons I see here. If we're going to wrap this up, which we shall in just a moment, Elizabeth was significantly older than Mary, may well have died by the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. By the day of Pentecost, Mary would have been about 50 years old. Her life was far from over. We just don't know what happened after that point. Yet their relationship, Mary and Elizabeth, remains forever a wholesome and helpful example for us all. You may feel invincible, but there are times that will come when you feel like things are unraveling. Oh no, this fell through, I made this mistake, that's not going well, this guy walked away from the Lord, and you feel like you're out of control, you're, it's embarrassing, it affects how you walk through the neighborhood, how you are with other people. Okay, I just, I just, I, I urge you, don't rule out the possibility that God may minister to you through someone decades older than you. And if not decades, at least quite a bit older than you. That's wholesome. That's the way the world is. That's the way most societies are set up. We are so into youth culture that we could unwittingly breed contempt for age. And that's like, you know, sawing off your own shooting yourself in the foot because you're on the way there. You're going to be old soon yourself. This ties us into now the Lord's Supper, which we're about to take. It's a very simple thought that Mary took the initiative. She reached out to Elizabeth and connected. This required effort. It required time. I mean, she was actually gone many weeks, months. She took initiative. Communion is not supposed to be this somber thing where a priest says some words and you get all quiet 
Not that, not that there's anything wrong with praying during communion, but in the New Testament, communion is much more about communion with one another in the sight of God than it is communing with God. During the Lord's Supper, don't just be in your own little world. Be conscious of others. It's fine to nudge them. It's fine to look at them. In observing the Lord's Supper, we need to reach out to each other because that's the primary horizontal component of communion, discerning the body. It's this body. It's not the body of Christ, even though that's important. It's this body. And secondly, in communion, there is the vertical relationship because we are in the sight of Christ and thinking of him. So Ruth, I mean, uh, Mary, Elizabeth, a great story of initiative and how uh, one Older woman helps a younger woman, and that helps me even though I'm a man. So let us pray. Lord, we want to say thank you so very much for the opportunity to take part in communion. Please pull us out of whatever pain or distraction or silent world we might be in and helps to realize that you may be wanting to share grace with us to help us to soothe to guide to counsel and that may be available in this very room but we may discount it because of the way we view people of different ages lord we thank you so much for the example that was preserved, recorded in Scripture for us, of Mary, who has great faith as a teen, who goes through a skeptical period, but in the end, she's a pillar of faith. And Elizabeth, who was really preparing for the, the end of her life when God surprised her, shocked her, and she was able to give birth to John the Baptist, and Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph. And that has changed the world. Help us to go deeper into your word. Help us to look one another in the eye. Help us to appreciate uh, the communion, the Lord's Supper. Amen.